This is the intro to the intro to the Petroleum Boogie podcast. My name is Paul Hansen Clark. I'd like to thank you for listening. I had recorded this episode. I had posted it, and I was about ready to start hyping it. And then uh, George Floyd got murdered. And the social unrest that occurred as a consequence of that despicable act started to unfurl and build and evolve and change and that is what continues to happen to this day and I hope continues to continue to happen in the immediate aftermath of that event I didn't feel very right about hyping a new thing that I'd created it felt wrong so I just didn't do anything with it for a while and then ever since then it's been sort of eating away at me not ever since but at a certain point I was like maybe I should do something with it is this the right time is this the wrong time I don't know and then and then that sort of zone of uncertainty and just letting uncertainty take up more and more space in my mind read this project that is that is when I started to feel eaten away at and you know, I'm just gonna post this shit. I'm gonna try and keep posting stuff. And this this one is just me talking about what I'm trying to do with this podcast. And I have a few uh, that are interviews with a poet named Todd Robinson that I've split up into a few episodes. And then I don't know what comes after that. I've got some audio recordings that I could make into this, make into that. I definitely have people that I'd like to talk to. But I have this fear of asking them to talk. And I, I just hope that putting this out into the world will create a bit of propulsion. What it is I do, no one knows. They all pretend to know, poor bastards. If I shove a stick at them, they don't say I shoved a stick at them, but say something entirely different. Some shout that I'm some big jefe, the others that I'm nothing but a barbarian who is chopping down the most magnificent Slovenian spruce trees. But such statements make none of us the wiser. Sometimes when I thus reflect upon myself, I'm horror-stricken. 
I suspect I'm a conspiracy, but whose? I haven't a clue. I studied myself. I plucked all my socialist hairs, religious hairs, metaphysical hairs, hairs with fuck in them and hairs that make a person positively grand and kind and hairs I always keep about me just in case I am suddenly run over by a car and need to argue where to be taken. Many hairs go simultaneously on different heaps of hairs and I've typed copy after copy i want a good view of the sea at first i thought everything will be clear and dandy after my death but that won't happen everyone will stuff their heads with whatever they please and then run around with this whatever causing even greater confusion who i've been and what it was i was really doing no one will ever know i feel sorry for you idiots mercy so yeah, it's a poem by Tomas Salomon. He's a Slovenian poet who I think is awesome. I've described him as like, when people think about a poet, they often sort of have a strange vision in their head of like a dorky guy in a turtleneck or maybe Doug Funny's sister Judy wearing like a beret and, and bopping along on bongos or maybe like a, a kind of corny uh, slam person sort of like just kind of speaking loudly in this sort of fake seeming way there's all kinds of views of what constitutes a poet and a lot of them are maybe whack as fuck but uh if if you have it in your heart to imagine like a poet who is awesome and sort of like uh speaks a wisdom through their work then uh to me tomas salomon is like a really good example of what that might look like. I just find his work to be uh, sort of true in a sense that I feel is eternal. And like this poem, which I have never read before, it's fucking great. And it's just about like the confusion of being a person. And that's the confusion that I feel every day that I think a lot of people feel. And I just wanna dig into one little section I suspect I'm a conspiracy, but whose? I haven't a clue. I studied myself. I plucked all my socialist hairs, religious hairs, metaphysical hairs, hairs with fuck in them, and hairs that make a person positively grand and kind, and hairs I always keep about me just in case I am suddenly run over by a car and need to argue where to be taken. My hairs go simultaneously on different heaps of hairs, and I've typed copy after copy i want a good view of the sea at first i thought everything will be clear and dandy after my death but that won't happen everyone will stuff their heads with whatever they please and then run around with this whatever causing even greater confusion the beginning of the beginning of that little bit that i just read it says i suspect i'm a conspiracy but whose and, and to me that speaks to a very real feeling that I think a lot of people feel that like our life kind of exists uh, outside of ourself like the the control of our life is is beyond us and we are but a fucking pawn in the game or a cog in the machine or just part of some bigger uh sort of mysterious thing that is intentionally obscured that we're not allowed to understand 
And that's the thing that I think about a lot and that I like to think about, but it's also like a fucking difficult thing to think about. And I think he does a good job of talking about it in this poem with this, with this fucking like idea of hairs. Like we all have all these aspects of ourselves, but ultimately like they don't add up to anything except confusion because we're fundamentally incapable of living life lives with any sort of like direction or meaning or agency and yeah i think this poem kicks fucking ass the poem rules i love the poem one thing i will say about this poem is it has some pretty strong line break game going on uh i'll just go through it again and emphasize the line breaks i plucked all my line break socialist hairs line break religious line break hairs metaphysical hairs hairs with line break fucking them and hairs that make a person positively line break grand and kind and hairs line break i always keep about me just in case i am suddenly line break run over by a car and yeah i don't think i can go too deep into the craft of this but when you're reading this poem out loud it's very surprising because a lot of these lines have a very sort of conversational construction. They're, they're, they're built in a way that people talk and they're sort of bro broken naturally along the way you might expect a person to speak. But when you get into this hairs section, all of a sudden the line breaks become a lot more weird and gnarly and kind of like um, unusual and not like how people speak. But, but it, I think it, I think that formal choice to kind of like fuck with the language of uh, presenting like a self through a poem, it creates this like confusing effect, which, which itself, you know, underlies the, the sort of like idea of the poem, which is that like, again, it's in the first line when I thus reflect upon myself, I truly have no clue who I am. I am Paul Hanson Clark. I'm a poet. I live in Nebraska. I, I like to hang out with people. I have a girlfriend who I love. Uh, we have two cats. One of them is sick and has a tumor in her stomach and it's very sad. The other one is much younger and hopefully will uh, continue to be in good health for a number of years. Uh, I'm scared about the coronavirus because a lot of my, uh, aunts and uncles and parents and family members pretty much all of them are over the age of 60 and i think they're uh fucking beautiful people i don't want them to you know die uh drowning with blood in their lungs or however the fuck this shit works but it seems like that's a very distinct possibility particularly given the fact that i live in a state where uh the governor has sort of had lax measures in response to the fucking outbreak now what the fuck do I know? I don't know how it's going to turn out. I really have no clue. Uh, but yeah, I was introducing myself. And the reason I was introducing myself is because I want to introduce this podcast, which is called Petroleum Boogie. And I just want to talk about uh, what I'm trying to do here. I, ha I had another recording that I made that maybe I'll post, maybe I won't, I don't fucking know. But like, I just randomly started reading a poem and talking about it. 
And, and I like that maybe as like kind of a a formal choice. Like the, it sort of begins with me just reading a poem and kind of quickly commenting on it. Because I have a lot of books with poems in them and the fuck do I do with them other than look at them from time to time. It, it's good, you know, to read poems to people that aren't by you. It's a thing that I try to do it. Not every reading I do, but I generally like if I have a reading coming up, I'm thinking in the back of my mind, like, ooh, what's a poem that isn't by me that I can read this reading? And th and I don't always have, like, a good idea for one, so I don't always do it. But I do, like, desire to do it for every reading. And, you know, it's just a cool thing to do because my view is, like, being a poet, uh, this whole idea that you have to, like, become a poetry expert and like read all the poems and understand the whole world of poetry and like know it all and sort of like know all the rules and and whatnot before you even begin to endeavor to like uh, create your own way of doing poetry. I, I think that's total horseshit, total fucking horseshit. In fact, I don't even think you have to read a single poem to write good poems. I think you can. I think you can write fucking awesome poems without reading a single poem. Because you can, like, look at, uh, you know, a painful uh, instance that you see on the streets. You could watch a film. You could uh, see a tree. You could uh, have a conversation with a loved one. There's there's all kinds of things in life that are um, adequate inspirations for poetry that uh, one can tap into if they feel the desire to write poetry. But I'm not out here saying that it is pointless or dumb to read poems. It's great to read poems. Poems are cool. They're fun. And they kind of they kind of allow you to connect uh, to the heart and to the soul of another human being. And I think that's a really cool thing. And the thing that I like about reading poems by other people out loud is, you know, every poet, they are themselves. And I don't, I don't speak like Tomasz Salomon. I don't speak like Alice Notley. I don't speak like anyone i speak like paul hansen clark and that's cool that's beautiful that's nice that's good but when you endeavor to read a poem by another person what you have to do is you almost have to allow their their voice to kind of move through you like you're just you become kind of a vessel and if you read the poem right you'll you'll figure out a way to read it that is um both true to you and completely new and uh, you know if i'm being real the reading of the tomaj salomon poem i just did it was a it was a good reading i vibe with the poem but I, but i do feel like it was a little more uh phc than tomaj like i feel like there's some kind of breath some voice some of the uh tomaj salomon mind soul energy that i wasn't able to fully channel in my reading and it's an impossible task you can never fully channel another person but you can try you can try and i think that's like a cool thing about reading poems is it sort of in, endeavors you to uh, to create a voice that is both yours and not yours and I think that can kind of expand your own personal voice as you do that more and more and more so yeah I have an idea to read poems I'm I was uh, I'm making this recording right now because I was inspired listening to the Jesse Spears podcast fuckers books uh, I can't even remember the title now, but it's a great title. It's like, uh, this is beautiful or, or, or something like that. That's not it. It's a better title than that. But I believe it has the word beautiful in it. But it's a great podcast. I, I highly recommend checking it out. Uh, at Sherry Sherry 69 is her Twitter. Uh, at Instacom 96 
I think is her Instagram. Uh, she's she's one of the best out there in the game of creativity, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I find her to be an endlessly inspiring and delightful and exciting and wild ass figure who, you know, just tipping my hat right now. Update. The name of the Fuckers Books podcast is True Happiness. But I was listening to her podcast and again, she just she just let the energy flow and it was like I was just thinking about my own recordings and how I'm always like trying to think through what the right thing to say is and kind of ruminating on this and that and the other. And, and all I do kind of do is just kind of repeat myself. So what I'm trying to do right now is to just move forward, move forward through my mind's space and time and not find myself stuck and ruminating on one particular moment. Um, as I said, the podcast is called Petroleum Boogie. And this kind of idea of motion uh, is, is inherent in the title of the podcast because one, petroleum is uh, gasoline. It fuels our automobiles, which we all use to, to move around in. Uh, two, to boogie is to move your ass, shake your ass, move around, dance, uh, get down, uh, boogie, jungle boogie, boogie nights, etc., etc. And petroleum boogie to me is like, I don't know, it means many things. I think it's an evocative pairing of words, but to me, it's basically like we're all kind of in this uh, dance contest uh, towards some kind of crazy death. Like it's all just kind of this crazy death ritual that's uh, both ecstatic and fun and delightful, but also terrifying and crazy. And uh, it really ought to stop, but it, but it's not going to. That to me is what the petroleum boogie is. So yeah, that's kind of the theory of what Petroleum Boogie is. Uh, I have this piece of paper that on the top is written Petroleum Boogie Manifesto. And on this piece of paper is several items that uh, sort of speaks to what I hope will be like the concerns of this whole project if it, if it should uh, manifest into a project. And, and let me just be clear um, about one thing in my life. The more that I set out on an endeavoring with like an idea in my mind of the best ultimate whatever it might become a sort of hope a sort of fantasy one might even call it a delusion the more fucked i am the more fucked i am it is completely fucked when i just have this notion of like oh yeah it would be so great if it went like this and that and this and that and this and that because guess what it's not going to go like that we cannot control life. We, we don't get to make a choice and say, oh yeah, this is how it's gonna go because life is cr crazy. There's all this swirling, there's all this action, there's all this stuff going on that, that is just constantly pushing and pulling. And, and yeah, from time to time, you'll be like, you know what, I'm gonna like run a marathon. And then like, sure enough, you find yourself running a fucking marathon. But there's a lot of stuff in life that you might set out to do that's just never gonna happen. And it's not because you're a fucking failure. It's just because uh, life is crazy. And uh, if you sort of hold yourself to a standard of like, oh, I have to do what I set out to do, then you're fucking yourself. And, and I do that a lot. And I don't wanna do that so much. I feel like I'm 35 years old. I need to uh, 
step past this tendency toward, oh yeah, this would be the best outcome. I really need to have that. And if that doesn't happen, then I'm going to feel like shit because the things that have worked out well in my life, poetry is one. I just started writing poems without any real sense of what the fuck I would do with it. And then all of a sudden, you know, I just started to do stuff with it. And for the longest time, I was just kind of flying by the seat of my pants and a lot of beautiful things came through that. And uh, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for that. Another thing is just like, I think of relationships. Like there's been plenty of people that I was interested in who I was like, oh yeah, I could really see like the best version of this and really, really felt desirous of that sort of outcome that, uh, of this like romantic spark or whatever. But the best relationships I've ever had have been sort of like, they, they sort of sneak up on you. You just like, you're interested in someone and then you just kind of continue being around them and then like you know beauty and love and all sorts of shit just kind of comes from that from that like space time proximity closeness intimacy and, and i've had this I, I talk about this a lot uh this idea that i'm about to say which is like i've had all these friendships uh where like you know when you meet someone and you're like wow that's a really cool person and you like just have kind of like a crush on them and it's not necessarily a romantic thing although it can be but for me i'm generally talking about non-romantic types of things where you're just like wow what a cool person i'm so like interested in that person i think they're so cool the way they do stuff the way they talk the way they act it's just so fucking cool to me i am bowled over by it and i can think of like uh several people just off the top of my head who who are that way one example I'll just say is this dude that I went to college with who when, when I first sort of became aware of him he had this gigantic mohawk and I'd see him in classes and you just kind of like he, he'd always just have this kind of like shit talky sardonic sardonic vibe and I read his blog and he's just making posts about feeling fucked up and you know he drank beers and hung out at the punk house and it was just like I, I, I just like felt this like attraction to him it was completely like non-sexual. It was just like, wow, what a cool dude. I'm so interested in this fucking dude. He had a friend who was just kind of like a odd guy who I couldn't quite put my finger on. And, and what happened over the years is that dude who I, I felt this like super high level attraction to, you know, I don't know. We just kind of stopped hanging out after a while. But the dude who, who was sort of this odd dude who I couldn't quite put my finger on, it just so happened that we ended up being in each other's presence for a number of years. So now, so now that guy who was just kind of an, an oddball to me, he's one of my best friends. And the guy who I was like, oh, I, I'm so, I so have a friend crush on this dude. I, I, don't, I haven't spoken to him in years. And I find that that can be often true with, with friendships, with relationships, where it's just like you feel excited about someone, but excitement isn't what makes isn't what life is you know you can't you can't sustain an entire fucking friendship because you, you're excited by someone what sustains friendship is like shared experience and intimacy and like just you know um occupying the world together in a way that's meaningful for both people and i find that building that up is a slow and mysterious process and one that is rarely triggered by uh, a kind of infatuation so I don't know, that's like a theory that I have that uh, I, I just started talking about. But uh, the reason I started talking about it is because with this, with this podcast project, I just want to 
do it. I just want to make it. I just want to make these things and go with it and not have a fucking goal or desire or whatever the fucking mind. That's sort of the dream for me is just to do it because not because, Oh, if I do this, then this, 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 just, just do it because, and that's hard for me to do. It's really hard for me to do that because I'm always thinking of all the different permutations and outcomes, but I think that that slows me down. It damages me and it fucks my life up. So nonetheless, I have a fucking manifesto that I'm going to now hopefully quickly move through. Uh, the first one is poetry is beautiful. That's the first item. And, you know, I've already talked quite about poetry with relation to the Tomas Solomon poem. But let me just say, like, a couple more things that might come to me. One is, like, a cool thing about poetry is uh, we use language as a species to survive. We need language to survive. So, like, I have to say, like, hey, start that fire. And you have to know what that means for us to be able to start the fire and, like, keep warm that night or whatever. Right? That's the reason language was invented, right? So... At the same time, we have thoughts. The thoughts that we have are very complex and there's images, there's sounds, there's, there's memories, it's fleeting, they disappear, they reappear. Thoughts are very crazy and complex. And language exists, at least in part, to express thoughts. Uh, so I think I'm cold, I say, hey, I'm cold, start that fucking fire over there. But the, the problem with language is it's fundamentally not up to the task. Thought is like so much more complex and strange and weird and slippery than language. So language just can't, it just can't, it just cannot do what thought does. Yet, we try. And that's one thing I think is really beautiful about poetry is there is an, there's a fundamental lack in language's ability to approximate thought. So you have your idea in your mind, oh, this poem, I want to write about this. You'll never be able to write about it the way you think about it. But you can still use language, you can still write, and you can still make things out of language that you find to be compelling or interesting or exciting. And oftentimes, um, ideas that you didn't have in mind at the, at the jump uh, might, might come out of it that are like more beautiful and more surprising and more strange or more beguiling or whatever. So, so just kind of giving in to the fact that you can't control what you do with language um, as much as perhaps you'd like or we'd like to think we can. I, I think that's a really great thing about that, that poetry almost requires of a poet. Like poetry, poetry is somewhat unique amongst the art forms in that it uses this very utilitarian thing, language, to create art out of. Like paint is not... I mean, we need to use paint for shit, but I don't think it's quite as necessary for our survival as languages. And I just love that we're taking language and using it in a fucking weird and fucked up way. Taking this thing that, that exists as kind of like a biological imperative uh, for our own survival and, and using it uh, toward other ends. I, I think that's fucking cool. So that's the thing I think about poetry that's beautiful another thing that i want to say about poetry that i think is beautiful is I, i've been to a lot of poetry readings i've been to a, i've been in a lot of places where people are sharing poems readings fucking people hanging out uh people doing drugs what whatever like you name it i've been at places where people are sharing poems and i have friends who share poems every single place they go and 
that's so cool. It's so cool to hear someone expressing themselves in a way that is original to them. And they're doing it just because they feel compelled to. I, I first started to understand how beautiful this is when I, when I went to open mics when I was living in Omaha. And, and what I realized is that open mics are just not that cool. Like they don't have a particular, I mean, I'm sure in some cities there's like really dope open mics or whatever, but in, in a town like Omaha, open mics are just kind of like strange. They're just these strange gatherings that random people are attracted to because they saw like a little listing in the paper or a thing on Facebook and they go to them and then they share these things that are important to them and then they leave. But there's no like purpose to it. You don't really get anything out of it. You're just, you're just doing it because you feel compelled to do it. And I, ha I had this experience one time where I was at an open mic and this dude came in and I'd never seen him before. And I'd been to that open mic like fucking every week or whatever for at least a few years. I'd never seen him before. He comes in, he's on the list. Uh, the guy who runs the open mic, he's like, hey, this next guy coming up, he had never met him before. Like, let's, let's give him a hand. And this dude, he says, uh, he says something to the effect of, uh, I went home today thinking, that I was happily married and I left uh, because my wife asked for a divorce and I wrote this poem and then he read this really fucked up and beautiful and devastating poem and it was a very powerful moment and uh, you know I don't know his life I don't know the nature of this marriage or, or why it dissolved but I do know that he he felt compelled to write a poem about it and then he had a place to go share it and that's all it was that's all it was that was the loop it's just like oh man i i feel this fucked upness i write this poem i go out and put it into the world and people take it in and then they move on with their life and that's it that is it that is poetry and that's fucking cool to me because when i'm at a reading, particularly, not even necessarily an open mic, but particularly a reading that's like, that's just like not that many people there, or it's just like some random people sort of like, hey, let's read some poems or whatever. But when I'm at a reading where people are just kind of reading shit that's important to them for no reason other than they want to, and they're with people who want to listen, I feel that that is such a beautiful thing. And I feel like it's a very ancient thing. I feel like that practice goes back all the way, all the way to the beginning of this whole wacky thing that we call life, human life. And not that humans are the only species that write poems, but I can't speak to poems written by other species. But I love being part of this continuum that goes back the entire way of people just gathering somewhere and sharing shit that matters to them simply because it matters to them and people listen simply because they want to listen there's no like there's nothing else to it it's just that and that's fucking beautiful to me and i love it and that is poetry and you know i want to use this fucking platform to talk about poetry to talk to people who are interested in poetry and to share poetry to just think about poetry so, so that's a thing. That's one thing. I don't know. I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna move on. I'm gonna move on to the next fucking. I'm gonna move on to the next 
subject at hand. Second item in the Petroleum Boogie Manifesto. Sobriety is important to me. So I'm a sober person. I haven't had alcohol since 2011. I used drugs sporadically after that but i haven't used drugs for i think four years maybe a little less than that uh but at any rate just to put my cards on the table uh my life was a complete fucking shit show before i quit drinking i wanted to die every single day uh i was constantly doing shitty things to people i cared about i was not pursuing stuff that mattered to me instead i was pouring all my energy into like just going places and getting fucked up and yeah i was kind of doomed and i quit drinking because this is the actual reason i quit drinking is because um i started to like feel i realize now it's heartburn but my my chest would feel strange sometimes when i was fucked up and i thought i was gonna have some kind of like heart attack or something and and I decided I need to quit smoking cigarettes. And this dude on this message board that I read for years, he had talked about quitting smoking cigarettes and he said that he quit drinking for a year. And that was how he quit smoking for good. And I always thought that was a smart idea. Like, ooh, yeah, cause like I had tried to quit before I get drunk, I start smoking again, everything's out the window. So I was like, I'm gonna quit smoking cigarettes. And to do that, I'm gonna quit drinking for a year. This is the time I'm gonna do it. Also, just a quick rewind. An interesting thing I did that year is that year, 2011, my New Year's resolution for 2011 was to not try to quit smoking cigarettes. So, so what that meant was, is previously in my life as a smoker, which was like for like five or six years, I would be like smoking a cigarette and I'd be like, what the fuck? am I doing? God, I'm such a fucking buffoon. Like I got to quit this awful habit. Bah. And then I'd like, sometimes I'd just be like, not today. Bah. And other times I'd be like, that's it. I'm quitting. And then I'd like quit. And then I'd start smoking again. Sometimes just like literally an hour and a half later, sometimes I'd make it a day or two, but like rarely do you make it over a week, even a few days, honestly, it's kind of impossible. So so, so I told myself, I'm going to quit trying to quit smoking. I didn't have this with any sort of like, with any sort of goal or outcome in mind. I was just like, you know what? I'm tired of this. I'm tired of sitting here smoking cigarettes and beating myself up about it. Constantly telling myself I have to quit doing this and then trying and failing. It's a fucking drag. It's an annoying cycle and I hate it. So that year, uh, whenever I was smoking a cigarette and that fucking little thought would start to creep into my brain, like, what am I doing? I guess I would just tell myself, like, listen, you decided you're not going to try and quit smoking. So just enjoy this fucking cigarette and move on with your life. Just that's it. And then, uh, and then that's what I did for months. And then, and then in March or April, I can't quite remember. It, it just kind of like hit me. Like, I'm, I'm not going to smoke anymore. And then I quit smoking cigarettes. But, but, but I, I firmly believe that a big part of why I was actually able to quit is, is, I, is I quit putting this, this insane pressure on myself to quit. And, and, and part of it too was this feeling that I was existentially doomed. Like if I quit smoking cigarettes, my heart might fail or something like that. 
But it was that double whammy because I'd felt that existential doom for before for years, and I wasn't able to quit. So so yeah, uh, I had this idea in my brain: I'm going to quit smoking cigarettes. I'm going to do it by not drinking for a year. So I stopped drinking, and then like two a week. I, I was not very long into it, but you quickly realize that your entire life revolves or like every aspect of your life is alcohol like my life was alcohol it didn't seem like that i didn't even think i had a drink i mean i knew that i had a drinking problem but like i didn't think like the answer for me was to quit drinking i just thought i need to figure it out i need to figure out how to drink in a way that didn't fuck my life up but once i actually did commit to quit drinking for a year then all of a sudden the the problems that came with drinking were just so they're just glowing in this bright fucking neon and i don't know that was the door i walked through and life didn't become peaches and cream after that in fact it became a lot harder because i used alcohol as a kind of valve like a release valve like i couldn't express my emotions at all i was very very bad at it so i'd use alcohol to just release that pressure and sometimes I get drunk, I just like all the anger and stuff that I kept inside, I just come back and blasting out. I just get spewed on whoever was around. And it was a very fucked up thing. But like quitting drinking doesn't solve that problem. But it, but it does kind of rob you of your way of dealing with it. So then I had to actually come up with ways of life that were like better and more healthy and cooler and more kind and loving and all this stuff. So, I don't know. I have personally benefited a lot from sobriety. And I believe in it. I think it's a good thing to do. But it's not for everyone, and I recognize that. But a thing that I just want to put out there is that the role that alcohol plays in the American life, I, I find to be very, very fucked up and frustrating and bad. Essentially, for me, and I think for millions of people, how it goes is you're a child, you become an adolescent, you, you wish to be an adult. That is what you desire. You desire to not be a child. And you are inducted into adulthood or non-childishness through drinking. Drinking is understood to be the social thing that adults do with one another. So, so it is through this ritualistic act of sharing alcohol that that is the only way to socialize as an adult. Playing tag or uh, drawing on the fucking sidewalk, you can't do that as an adult. You can only do that as a kid. That's what kids do. What adults do is they drink together. And from my point of view, you know, even if I'm giving drinking, you know, the most generous vision, sure, drinking is great. It's great consuming mind-altering substances with other humans. Sure, it's, it's awesome. So is fucking drawing on the sidewalk or playing tag. Yet only one of those things is sort of allowed to be understood as a valid adult activity. And this feeds into my second point, which is, uh, another aspect of America and alcohol is 
sobriety has been completely put in a completely separate little corner. There's this thing called Alcoholics Anonymous, and it's a valuable thing. A lot of people I know benefit from it personally. I never really went to AA, but I'm not trying to talk shit on AA. But what 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 I am saying is, is it kind of sucks how um, the world of sober people who are adults and the world of non-sober people who are adults, they're often like sort of completely separate and understood to never be allowed to interact. And from the addict perspective, I do get that. I, I get why addicts are sort of wary of interacting with people who are using substances because yeah, they might be triggered, they might start using again, whatever. But from the but from the per, from the perspective of someone who isn't an addict but continues to to just drink every night but not to a point that it like fucks their life up i think those people could benefit a lot from ideas uh that sobriety sort of engages with i think that the the world of sobriety the practice of sobriety the culture of sobriety has a lot of valuable ideas about how to live life that only sort of sober people are allowed to access and are um, encouraged to put into practice and I have long dream of creating a space where I, I view sobriety as a spectrum like or, or, or people on the more addict end of the spectrum they have a lot of ideas and thoughts about how to deal with life that I think are valuable to people on the non-addict end of the spectrum yet we live in a world where these two groups of people are almost always completely separated from one another and I just think that sucks so yeah, I want to talk about sobriety. I want to talk to people who I who I know who engage with sobriety. I think sobriety is an important thing. And I think it's a cool idea. And I think it's worth thinking about. Um, I love watching movies and talking about them is the third point on the manifesto. Uh, I don't know. There's really not much more to it than that. I like movies because one, you can watch them with another person. And you can have a really great conversation around the movie. It's one of my favorite experiences. You watch a movie talk to someone about it it's just a lot of fun i just love doing that but two i find that movies are a very um they're like a they're like a dark vision into our into our world like a lot of movies are just straight up like diabolical like y you watch movies and it's like like pretty much any movie made in america since i don't know 1980 I mean, I'm sure before that too, but like any movie made in America in my lifetime that features someone from the Middle East, almost every instance that person is a bad person, a, a villain, an evil person, uh, a bad person. Every movie made in America in my lifetime that features a man who kills people who are from the Middle East almost every single instance of that, that figure is heroic or morally complex, such that his actions of killing Muslims can't understood to be simply uh, sociopathic or bad. They can be understood to be like part of the complex life of a person. That's fucked up. That's a fucked up thing, but it's true. Every single movie, it communicates that message. It's like a it's a type of propaganda that's very prevalent. And I, and I think that the movies are a very good window into seeing our world sort of more clearly. 
because from our own sort of personal perspective, things can just be so confusing and weird, kind of like the Solomon poem was talking about. But you watch a movie and you sort of can pick apart the ideas it's communicating and then you can start to kind of understand with a, with a different kind of clarity what kind of world we're living in, what kind of world we're sharing, and what kind of world we're building together. And, and you can then know, is this a direction that I want things to go in? And for me, it's, it's no. The answer is no. But, 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 for, but for some reason, I find that movies are like a very good way both to like see how and why fucked up things are, but also to kind of like think about different avenues of how we might live and how we might construct this world that we share. Next point on the manifesto. Shit talk is fun, but it isn't all there is. Um, yeah, I don't know. I find it to be, I'll just say it, like the, the, the sort of like the Chapo Trap House model, which like I've listened to that podcast and I've enjoyed it. The kind of general premise of it is like, let's find an article written by some like liberal moron and then sort of like talk shit on it for 30 minutes and then like talk about the Bernie campaign or something. And it just kind of is a drag, you know, like, and, and everyone that's on the internet is guilty of this. We all do this thing where we just kind of like live this kind of sad sort of shadow version of, it's just like a, it's a, it's a question of energy. We all have sort of finite energy, right? And I can spend my energy doing this, that, or the other. And let's say like I have, I have three options. This is what I can do with my mind each day. One is I can like watch pornography all day. Two is I can um, reflect upon my past all day. And three is I can read articles that I think suck all day and tweet shit talky thoughts about them. None of these things are good or bad, but they're just like different ways to kind of engage with reality but I find that there's kind of a the balance is off in the world of podcasts particularly those on sort of let's call it the left is there isn't uh, a lot of energy being put into this hey this is really cool let's think about this thing that's cool that we're interested in that excites us that makes us feel good or something there's a shit ton of energy put into hey this is stupid let's talk about how stupid this is and i think fundamentally uh i think fundamentally there is a massive limit to what there is to be gained from reading shit you think is stupid and making fun of it you know i love a good critique i love a good takedown i, I love that shit but it has its limits and I feel like it's kind of a tool in the box that is overused. And I just want to like underuse it, I guess is my sort of thought. Um, the second thought, excuse me, that's not the second, I don't even know what I'm saying. The next item on the fucking uh, manifesto is heart posting, vulnerable beach will never die. Um, this is 
both of these phrases, heart posting, one, vulnerable, vulnerable beach will never die, two, those were tweets that I've pinned. Uh, the quick story of vulnerable beach will never die is me and my friend uh, Amanda Huckins and my friend Bernadette Johnson, we decided to go to this like poetry and chaos symposium in Fort Collins, Colorado, because we knew some people who went to college there and it seemed like kind of interesting or cool or intriguing. And while we were there, we went to like a fucking like makers studio or some shit. And it was pretty like, I don't know. It was, it was odd. It, I don't know. I'm not, it was, it was, it was weird. The whole maker movement is just kind of weird to me. And I didn't really feel, uh, comfortable there. So what I did is I looked around and I saw a bunch of really nice paper, paper for art type of shit. And I just took a bunch of it. I took as much of it as I could. And then I drew these crude drawings on it. So I could sort of justify like, Oh no, I was just using the maker space to make, but the idea was I just like make these like really fucking crude ass drawings and then bring the nice paper home and then make some kind of like better drawing out of it. Right. Well, one of the drawings I, I made, it ended up being like a bunch of sharks and then there's a beach and there's some water. And then the people on the beach, they're like both holding guns, maybe pointing them at each other. I can't quite remember. And, I, and then I wrote vulnerable beach will never die. And, uh, I just, I just like that phrase. And I gave that uh, drawing to a friend of mine who's like something of a badass. And they sort of like dug the phrase too. And it sort of became like a, a shared idiom or whatever. The item is heart posting vulnerable beach will never die. And it's sort of like the opposite of shit talk is fun, but isn't all there is, you know, just speaking from your heart. Hey, let's, let's say what's true in our heart. Let's like be real. Let's like put some fucking some of our guts on the table like let's let's do it uh let's be like full human versions of ourselves not like protected mech warriors of ourselves where like we have this sort of like shield of like irony and detachment to like prevent us from ever saying anything that actually matters let's instead like only say things that matter you know and obviously that's like I love irony. I love shit talk. I love all that shit. But like, I'm just saying again, there needs to be a balance and I want to have my balance be more on this side of, of heart posting a vulnerable beach will never die. Uh, and one thing I will add is, is yesterday I was listening to the pod podcast Popcast, New York times podcast. And it's with John Caramonica and they're talking about some country guy named like Sam hunt or something. And I guess he like does, he has like a hip hop influence in his music. And I, I've probably heard a bit of his music, but I can't like, I can't conjure up a song by this dude in my mind. But during uh, one of the parts of this podcast, the dude, John Caramonica, he kind of asserted that the song deliverance by Bubba Sparks is the, thus far the best kind of uh, melding of country and hip hop sensibility. And he has this hope that this dude, Sam hunt or whatever, will be able to have a similar kind of triumph on that level or perhaps even exceeding it. That's his kind of hope for this artist. He's not there yet, but he hopes he will get there. And this triggered me to listen to the song Deliverance by Bubba Sparks, which I have listened to many times. I remember when it came out, I was very excited about it. And there's this line that said, uh, 
I tweeted it, but it's like, it's something about like, I left my fucking mom's house. The leaves are falling. It's winter. I, I'm like strong on the outside, but I'm crumbling within. Uh, but legends are made out of vulnerable men. Mamas with my thumb in the wind, the leaves on the ground, winners coming again. Solid on the surface as I crumble within, but legends are made out of vulnerable men. So on the brink of death, I still manage living life, cause so rarely in this world are these chances given twice. I indeed sold my soul without glancing at the price. No instructions when I was handed this device. But with what I did get, I was more than generous. Put others over self on several instances. But I'm back on my feet without a hint of bitterness. And one way or another, I shall have deliverance. So I say. And, you know, I think that's a beautiful line. It's a little, you know, it's a little uh, bro-ish. It's not, just, it's not just vulnerable men who become legends. But, you know, he's speaking as a man. He's talking about the importance of vulnerability and allowing your your inner failings to, to be seen, your inner struggles to be seen. It was cool. It was just a cool line. These last items, they all get kind of repetitive. So I'm just gonna like do a kind of free for all, triple, 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 double, super play. So the last three items on this manifesto are fuck bullshit, truth forever, it's okay to have no fucking clue. And then a quote from the, the music critic, Andrew Nizinski, I don't have time for rappers over 30 who don't kick knowledge. The, the Nas quote, Andrew Nizinski, he said that about the rapper Juicy J. I think it was on like a Tumblr. Someone like asked him like, what do you think of Juicy J? He was having this like renaissance. Uh, that song Stoner's Night came out like, and Nas, he just kind of like cut him down. He just said like, I don't have any interest in dudes over 30 who don't kick knowledge. And like uh, one of Juicy J's most famous lines from that era is you say no to drugs, Juicy J can't. And it's just like about how he loves getting fucked up. And that's like all he cares about. And uh, I, I don't I don't necessarily agree with the, the assertion that Juicy J doesn't kick knowledge. I think he does. But, I, but at the same time, I do think it's a salient critique. But like with my own creativity, I sort of like, I sort of like had this experience where I used to just write anything and turn it into poems. And sometimes it was like, I'm just talking shit on my friends or like complaining about this shit, or like all kinds of stuff. And Theo tweeted this thing that was like, I used to write just sort of carelessly. And I realized now that I was doing a kind of chaos magic that was allowing spirits who may or may not be, um, in line with my like goals to occupy my body and that's like bad i don't want to do that anymore and i don't necessarily believe in spirits in that way but but i do find it to be it, it, and i just want to be completely clear like if you do think about spirits that way i think that's awesome and it's my understanding that theo does think about spirits in that way and i think he's i think that's great and i think he's brilliant um I just wanted to make a correction. In this recording, I misgendered Theo, and I feel bad about that. And I could have edited it out, but 
I would rather just put a correction in because I do think it's important to be real about slipping up and you know I'm not perfect I go back to sort of normative ways of speaking that I was raised with but I really am trying to improve and uh just want to apologize to Theo they're an excellent person and a great thinker and I mean no disrespect I'm not trying to take away from that kind of worldview. I'm not sure if it's quite how I think about it, but I do nonetheless find it to be like a very useful way of thinking about the way um, thoughts come and go in our mind and uh, how sometimes we can invite thoughts in that are actually like destructive or shitty or fucked up or bad. And I realized at some point that I've written all these poems that were just kind of like, just like a drag just like a negative drag on my energy just like just like whatever like if i'm a jet that's trying to move forward into some sort of like world of goodness i had all these poems that were just like slowing the jet down if not like completely disabling it at times and this is what i'm trying to get at with this trio of things like fuck bullshit truth forever it's okay to have no fucking clue i don't have much time for rappers over 30 who don't acknowledge you know, I want to share things that I think are true and that I think are valuable to people and beautiful and mean something to me. And I know they mean something to me. You know, that's what I want to do. And I don't know how to do that in this, in this medium, in this form. I don't know how to make a fucking podcast that shares truths, that, that shares knowledge that shares wisdom. I don't know how the fuck to do that, but it is okay to have no fucking clue. And I am honestly very scared to be doing this, but I'm proud of myself for trying. And, um, yeah. Thanks for listening.
think that, that that's the thing I'm interested in talking about with poetry is just like finding the fucking little thorns of poems and talking about them in such a way that people can kind of, you know, have their own creativity be inspired because I've been, I've been sparked. My imagination has been sparked by so many fucking things that, that are weird and don't make any fucking sense. But again, back to the Tomas Solomon poem, like just like, just like repeating the word hairs, like that's such a genius idea. You know, like that's, that's a, that's a poetic idea that anyone could quickly employ because hair is part of everyone's life. Everyone has a relationship to hair. Hair is part of being a human. The word hairs is a simple word. Everyone knows what it means. Everyone knows how to use it. So, so like anyone could take that idea of like, oh, I'm just going to use the word hairs over and over and over and, and create their own poem out of that. That would be like completely original and true to them, but also like borrowing from the strange mind of another. And I think that's super fucking cool. So, so that's a thing. That's one thing. I don't know. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna move on. I'm gonna move on to the next fucking. I'm gonna move on to the next subject at hand. Uh, okay, I'm at 38 minutes. Let's let's see let's see how long this shit. That's another cool thing about the Jesse Spears uh, fuckers books podcast is. She was talking and she was saying, like, I did a good podcast. It was two and a half hours long. I was like, can I do that? And I was like, fuck, fuck, of course I can. Like, I max everything out. I'm a maximalist. If you give me a fucking gallery wall, I will cover every inch of it. I cannot help it. And I, too, am something of a maximalist. And just hearing someone kind of embrace maximalism in the podcast medium, it was just very, like, I just found it to be very beautiful and inspiring. I like you, yeah, I like you, 